transmitting live from the top of the Empire State Building on WBAI 99.5 FM Pacifica Radio in New York. This is Trump Watch, the first hundred days, a weekly series investigating the policies of and reaction to President Donald Trump and his administration. I'm today's host, Jesse Lent. Conrad Tokyo, Sparrow, Pistachio, just done national. Dog is off sabbatical. Rather watch an exigent. Politician, politics, CNN, and all this. Guanio, move with the fucker. Trump and an SNL hilarity. Troublesome times, kid. Hello and welcome to Trump Watch, the first hundred days. Today we'll be discussing the Trump administration's immigration policy with Armando Gudino, a Los Angeles-based political analyst in the areas of immigration and deportation, and a policy manager for the Drug Policy Alliance, and we'll be talking to Rajiv Mia, an organizer from the New York City Against Trump Coalition. By the Department of Homeland Security's own statistics, hundreds of undocumented immigrants have already been deported during the first 26 days of the presidency of Donald J. Trump. On Sunday, Homeland Security Secretary Richard Kelly said in an official statement on the agency's website, quote, Last week, U.S. Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, ICE, launched a series of targeted enforcement operations across the country. These operations targeted public safety threats, such as convicted criminal aliens and gang members, as well as individuals who have violated our nation's immigration laws, including those who illegally re-entered the country after being removed and immigration fugitives ordered removed by federal immigration judges. ICE officers in the Los Angeles, Chicago, Atlantics, Atlanta, San Antonio, and New York City areas of responsibility are arrested more than 680 individuals who pose a threat to public safety, border security, or the integrity of our nation's immigration system. Of those arrested, approximately 75% were criminal aliens convicted of crimes including but not limited to homicide, aggravated sexual abuse, sexual assault of a minor, lewd and lascivious acts with a child, indecent liberties with a minor, drug trafficking, battery, assault, DUI, and weapons charges. The announcement that only 75% of those arrested had criminal records left some immigration reform activists questioning on what basis President Trump, who has repeatedly stated he wants to focus on deporting the millions of illegal aliens with criminal records he believes are in the country, arrested the other 25% of the people swept up in last week's ICE raids. Yesterday, Doris Meiser, director of the director of the Migration Policy Center's U.S. Immigration Policy Program, told Suzanne Gamboa of NBC News that despite Trump's rhetoric claiming he wants to focus on deporting undocumented immigrants with criminal records, his executive orders on immigration, quote, go far broader than that. Los Angeles Times reporter Brian Bennett reported back on February 4th that an estimated 8 million people could be deported under the new administration, thanks to officials from U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, quote, taking an expansive view of Trump's directive, unquote. Trump's expansive view of what constitutes an illegal alien was confirmed by Mary Elena Hincapi, the executive director of the National Immigration Law Center, in a report yesterday by Time in which she told reporter Maya Roden, quote, every administration going back to the Bush administration and the Obama administration has also had fugitive operations. But fugitive ops are supposed to focus exactly on that, fugitives. 
adding, quote, the big difference now is that there are no priorities. Everyone is a priority. Here to help us parse the new normal in illegal immigration enforcement is Armando Gudino, a Los Angeles-based political analyst on the subjects of immigration and deportation and a policy manager for the Drug Policy Alliance. Hello, Armando. Welcome to Trump Watch. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm happy to be on. During the Obama administration, over 2.5 million people were deported, uh, kicking a greater number of people out of the country than any other president in history, according to statistics from the Department of Homeland Security, and leading to his nickname as the quote-unquote deporter-in-chief. So how do you see immigration policy shifting under President Trump? You know, that's a great question. And I think it's important that uh, the audience know that while that, uh, that dubious title was given to Obama by many in the Latino pro-immigrant rights community, um, <clears throat> that, uh, and that created uh, quite a significant rift with regard to support for him, I think there's a very, very stark and dark difference with what we're seeing uh, with Trump. And that is, under Trump, I think Trump has taken a very different approach, and we see this very clearly in his recent um, uh, document, uh, his, his executive order enforcing federal law with respect to transnational criminal organizations and the preventing of international trafficking, as is the exact title. And what that is is um, very important, because what Trump is doing is effectively combining the intersection of drug policy and immigration in a way in which we haven't really seen uh, be seen uh, done in the past to this degree. And what do I mean by that? What Trump did in his uh, executive order, particularly under Section F of the executive order, um, he had his lawyers basically criminalize and associate directly the issue of immigration as a component, as an ancillary component of transnational criminal organizations. And in fact, in the actual language, it, it literally says that pursue and support additional efforts to prevent the operational success of transnational criminal organizations and subsidiary organizations within and beyond the United States to exclude persecution of ancillary criminal offenses such as immigration fraud. And by definition, ancillary means providing necessary support to the primary activities or operations of an organization, institution, or industry. So in other words, I think what we're going to see in the coming weeks and months is a more direct association uh, and labeling of migrants and other immigrants as an extended component of transnational criminal, or criminal organizations. In other words, we're going to label these folks, we're going to criminalize these folks, we're going to have policy formation around them, and then we're going to execute that policy, which the end result is uh, removing them from the country. Now, this is unseen before in the past with any other president. In other words, what he's doing to justify his campaign is criminalizing them under the auspices or the umbrella of the war on drugs. We are fighting a war on drugs. We are designating these people as you know, members of an extended criminal, transnational criminal organization, i.e. cartels, and therefore we need to remove them. This is very, very, very scary because... You know, on the lead up to his campaign, he started with the stigma of Latinos and immigrants. And remember back that rhetoric around, 
you know, they only import rapists and drug dealers and what have you. Right. The they're bringing result, crime. Literally... They're bringing drugs. You're talking about in his first exactly. his, his press conference announcing level, his campaign for president. And a horrific level. This is a very well executed, as horrible as it is, a plan on the part of a conservative bigot who has really followed through on his wording to the point where he issued a national edict saying we are hereby designated by Trump as members of transnational criminal organizations, cartels, and therefore we're going to be persecuted in every which way. Are you saying that all immigrants are assumed to be parts of cartels or, or just people from certain countries? I am saying that based on his language and his uh, national uh, and his executive order, based on this language, one could assume that the language uh, makes such an assumption that if you're an immigrant, you can hereby, based on this executive order, be tied to transnational criminal organization by way of what they label in the actual language an ancillary act. Beyond the wording of the executive order, what's your greatest concern about what the new administration will do regarding immigration? Well, you know what? I, I think, you know, I stand by the position that, you know, not only is this country built on the foundation of migrants and other immigrants, but ultimately, um, you know, this country allows its success to the ability to be able to provide a welcoming environment to that new generation of migrants and immigrants. And I think what this does, my biggest fear is that it is beginning to dismember, disassemble a welcoming environment that has existed for the greater part of a century. And um, I think it's legitimizing the bigotry in this nation at a level that we haven't seen before. And I think that's ultimately going to have other socio-political and economic implications on other generations who have been here. I foresee this leading uh, towards a direction in which those of us who are the more recent one and two generations removed uh, of immigrant parents uh, be brought into question as to whether or not we constitute Americans uh, just by sheer uh, uh, association and ultimately legitimizing a type of racism that we've known exists in this country, and that's the racism of color and and, uh, ethnicity. So I think that's one of my personal biggest fears. But I also got to tell you, I remain optimistic, and I'll say why. I think when you have this kind of racist, draconian policies in play, we see, you know, humanity is resilient, and we see what's happening here in the States right now. You know, I'm excited to see what's going to come out of the the arts and culture community, the, the, the muralists, the music, the, 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 the resistance movement that is building. After all, more than half of this nation did not support this. So I think it's laying the foundations of what will be, I think, a more, even more progressive movement later down the road. Of course, the problem is who becomes the casualties of war in this initial phase right now. You've been involved in the crafting of some bills currently making their way through the California State Assembly dealing with immigrants' rights, uh, specifically relating to drug offenses. Can you please talk about what you're hoping to accomplish with this legislation if it passes and what your role in the process has been? Sure. So there's a couple of bills uh, here in California. First of all, California, uh, you know, at at the risk of jumping on a soapbox about California, I, I, I am very happy to say that I think, you know, not only with our governor, but legislators here early on, 
you know, really took a strong stance and, and, and made a very, very firm commitment to the state and its immigrants and its residents in saying that we will not uh, defer, we will not, you know, allow this to happen. So, you know, it's very close to designating itself as a sanctuary state, uh, albeit with a more complicated definition. Uh, one bill in particular, there's several, but one bill in particular that I personally are part of and have been working on for a, a couple of years now is a bill that recently got introduced um, that is a um, deferred entry of judgment pre-trial diversion. So in the state of California, and in many states for that matter, if an individual is caught with a petty drug crime or with a petty amount of drugs, that is to say personal use as directed by the arresting officer or designated by, uh, and if you don't have any substantial previous record or not on probation or parole, you more than likely become eligible for deferred um, uh, for a pre for a diversion program, and a lot of times you're allowed to um, submit a, a a a plea in order to apply for this uh, diversion program. The problem we found with that was that uh, when you're found in that situation, most people take the deal, and per the laws of the state, you're absolved of your crime once you complete diversion. But by now, you've already submitted a a plea, which is usually at this point a guilty plea. And although the state says you're okay to go, you end up being eligible for deportation proceedings per the federal government. So what we've done is we found a way to basically wrap around that issue and have free trial diversion become the first option, and then upon completion, submit a plea, at which time uh, the plea would be of non-guilty considering the state feels that you've already fulfilled your obligation to them and therefore avoid any type of deportation. Now, this is important because regardless of your status, if you don't have any documentation, you're at risk regardless. But what we found here in the state of California was that a lot of people with permits to be here, and including green card holders, were being deported for, you know, in some cases, some real egregious cases, a couple of fails that somebody had in their uh, glove compartment or in their center council in their vehicle, which happened to be a vehicle they were borrowing in one actual case. So that's just one example of, of, a, of one particular bill that I myself have worked on and are now in the state legislature. There's a couple of other bills colleagues of mine have put together, including uh, uh, one uh, bill in the Assembly, Assembly Bill 3, which actually provides grants for state agencies and nonprofits to house their outfits with out, outfit them with legal counsel specifically in the immigration arena. So, for example, of the, you know, 20, 100, 150 different uh, public defender's office in a given area, we discovered that less than one-fifth actually had um, an actual immigration counsel on board. So through this particular initiative or this particular uh, bill, we'll be able to now fund additional support for agencies, including, again, in some cases, nonprofit organizations, to ensure that anybody who gets swept up in any of these, uh, you know, Trump policies uh, will be able to, they will be able to have access to legal counsel, and in some cases, through the public defender's office. Uh, so we're making sure that everybody has access to these grants in the entire state of California. So and lastly, uh, one addition. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no, just... Uh, I, 
we we don't have that much time. So yeah, so just really to finish what you were saying uh, to wrap up the last one. Yeah, and then the last thing, very quickly, uh, there's a, a third bill that will prevent uh, any law enforcement agencies, including public health agencies and other state agencies, from sharing data or information to federal authorities for any person that they see, attend, and or support in any of these respective agencies, therefore preventing anybody from notifying uh, anyone else of their legal status, including uh, asking questions about their legal status. So we're, we're looking at this from a multi-pronged approach. Uh, we're educating the public with information, pamphlets, uh, postcards, all the while finding ways in which we can fund at a very practical level, at a government level, at the state level, ways in which we can both support and prevent uh, the type of uh, uh, impact that these policies will have by the Trump administration. And I'm afraid I have to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. My guest has been Armando Gudino, a political analyst in the areas of immigration and deportation and a policy manager for the Drug Policy Alliance. You're listening to Trump Watch, the first hundred days on WBAI 99.5 FM, Pacifica Radio in New York. I'm Jesse Lent. My next guest is Rajib Maya, an organizer from Harlem Cop Watch which is one of the members of the New York City Against Trump Coalition, organizing a major rally scheduled to take place in Queens next month. Rajib, thank you so much for joining me. Are you there? Rajib? Okay, we appear to have lost Rajib, so we will attempt uh, to talk to him. Uh, you know, the, the, the organization... Um, that Rajib is from, the New York City Against Trump Coalition. Um, that's an organization uh, uh, comprised of a bunch of different um, smaller groups uh, here in New York City um, that is, uh, uh, you know, scheduling some of these demonstrations. Um, so um, in order to sort of sum up what we've been talking about so far, uh, my first guest um, you know, Armando Gudino is involved. Um, he's involved on the side of policy, um, you know, working in the legislature as in, in California, in the state assembly, rather, um, working to get some of these bills uh, together. Um, and then uh, we were hoping that Mr. Maya uh, could share with us uh, some of the other ways that people are responding to this immigration uh, movement. Rajib, are you here? Yeah, I'm here. I don't uh, know what the difficulty just happened. Right <laughs> no problem. It's great to have you. Thank, thank you so much. Welcome uh, to Trump Watch. Thanks for having me. So um, I, want to, um, I want to talk to you about the, the demonstrations that you have planned, but first I just want to speak a bit more generally about the new president and his immigration policy. Is there anything that's really um, stood out to you or that you've been particularly disturbed by in the first four weeks that Trump has been president? It's, I feel like it's the end of the world type. <laughs> so it feels like for most people. <laughs> but, it's, but it's not, you know. Like, this has been happening even before even Trump was around. It's just more low-key, one would say. Like how you mentioned earlier about under Obama's administration, about three million people almost were actually... Um, deported under his president election. Um, but, like, 
I think one thing it shows that like people are resisting, and this is a time for resistance to prevail against the oppressors, right? Definitely. Um, well, or or should I say that's for each woman and man to decide for themselves. We leave it to you. But um, I, I, I really appreciate you talking to us about what you're doing. First, I want to talk, if you don't mind, just a little bit about your own background. You're Pakistani-American? No, I'm actually from, my parents are from Bangladesh. Oh, Bangladesh, excuse me. I was given uh, bad information on that. Um, and, and so, but you were born here in the U.S. Right, I was born in, I was born in the Bronx, but raised in Harlem. Do you know anyone in, you know, any immigrant, immigrant communities that you might have connections in? Um, do you know anyone that's been affected by the Trump policies so far? Um, actually, um, so I'm from, like, from New York City, right? So, like, there's been actually, like, about, like, 40, I think 41 people in New York City who actually been targeted since the weekend, over the weekend, by Trump's administration on the deportation. And, like, not me specifically. However, I have family members who are green card holders, right? And um, being a green card holder is also people who are being targeted. Fortunately, my cousin, she actually, she was actually visiting... Mexico for a trip, right? A trip in like a school trip, and she was also a green card holder. And because being a green card holder, you got to be very careful. You don't know what could happen, right? Um, however, she was all good. Nothing happened to her. Like I don't know anyone personally something like that happened to. But there's the community that I'm involved in, and like the as well as this, like the background of people that I'm around, like a lot of immigrant communities. Most definitely, they were targeted. And of course, that was one of the main criticisms lodged against. Uh, the rollout of Trump's immigration ban um, rolled out via executive order on January 27th that, um, you know, that green card holders originally were said that they'd be included in the ban. And then mm -hmm. Homeland Security obviously walked that way back. So so certainly uh, they, they haven't been making life uh, easy for uh, mm -hmm. for people with a green card. Um Talk about the the protest that you have scheduled. That's that's uh, happening on March nineteenth, correct? March. That's actually not a protest. We actually had a that on the March nineteenth is actually a Know Your Rights, Know Your Enemy workshop that um, New York City Against Trump, as well as other organizations as Migrante New York, Anagbaya New York, Urban Justice Center, are also having um, working together along to have a training to understand like how do you go about and defend yourself against immigration custom enforcement in the workspace as well as at home. Um, however, we did have a mobilization last month on the 26th, I believe, excuse me, not 26th, the 21st, right at the day of the inauguration, um, which that particular mobilization has shown that the community is actually on the side of the people. And they, what we did, we actually mobilized in Corona Plaza along with Tisa Bagari, um, Daniel Villa. I think, you guys, I think you guys are familiar with Daniel Villa. He's also involved with that too. Um, where we mobilize a bunch of young folks, also immigrant background people within Queens, which is an area where most people in the left, you could say, don't have mobilizations down there as often, um, where the most oppressed sectors and where the people who are working are going back home to their families, where it turned out to be really, really great. It turned out to be perfect. Like we had a, we had a, what do you call a Trump piñata? And that Trump piñata was a great propaganda piece to let people know about like how people in the community felt about how we how, how they felt about Trump and Trump's administration. But not alone just Trump administration, but the policies and the entire empire of the U.S. You know, 
Um, this has been they're aware this has been going on for a while, not even not even during the time of Trump. This was going on even during the time of Obama, even before Obama's time, right? Um, it went pretty well. It went pretty great. We ended up marching from Corona Plaza, 103rd Street, to um, Diversity Plaza. And Queens is known for having a a diversity, uh, a huge diversity of different group of nationalities in of there. Course, so you got like yeah. people from Tibet, you got people from Bangladesh, Pakistan, India. One of the most Mexico, diverse Ecuador. communities, uh, areas in the world, in, in the U.S., rather, I believe. Um, Very, I'll tell you that. So for, and they come from working class backgrounds. Right. And and just getting back to the, the March 19th uh, event uh, about knowing your rights as an undocumented immigrant, and, and um, where can people find out more information about that? And, and what's the, the, day, the, the time on that? Well, um, it's happening in, uh, it's going to be happening in Tisa Pagari, um, which is three, it's going to start at three o'clock, um, three o'clock till 6 p.m. And that, you could actually look that up on Facebook um, and to our, on the New York City Against Trump um, like page on Facebook. On which the New York City Against week. Trump Facebook page. Okay, great. Right. So, right. excellent. And, um, y- you know, what? Can you share, actually, I think it would be great in the last few minutes we have here, can you share any of the the, the techniques that you'll be telling people on the 19th, some of the things that undocumented immigrants should know about um, how to respond to immigrations and customs enforcement? Right. One thing for sure, um, folks should always know that, like, out from the back, I think this should always be in everybody's head, that these legal rights that folks, like the legal rights that folks have are not necessarily the, the Trump card. Like, doesn't mean that you, if you know your rights, doesn't mean that you will not be targeted by the state or not targeted by the ICE. Because we have seen this consistently happen. However, knowing your rights as in, like, not showing your ID, right, is one thing where you don't, you don't have to show your ID to um, Immigration Customs Enforcement or FNYPD, which is actually, by law, you don't have to. However, like, people should always have in their mind know that, like, it isn't the rights that you know, but it's what you do with those rights to be able to build upon it within the ground of people who's on the ground, like grassroots organizing, right? You want to build power amongst the most most uh, embedded in the most oppressed sectors of society. So that means like areas in Queens. I think people should know like knowing your rights is important. However, it is just a tactic that you can use, but it's necessary. It doesn't always work. And it should be noted too. You mentioned that that ICE, you know, that that people don't have to uh, show their ID uh, as a matter of course uh, in, in their dealings with that that organization. It also should be noted that uh, ICE enforcement officers never ask for money. There was an incident uh, th- this past week of mm. a man in Queens. Actually, I'm sure you heard about this. Who uh, was accosted by men in ICE uniforms saying that he had to give them money or he'd be under arrest. He gave them all the money he had, $250 in his pocket. And, mm. uh, and, and, and just to be clear, to present any, uh, to prevent uh, other people from, from falling victim to that in, in what's such a, a frightening time. Well, you know, just in the last sort of minute and a half we have here, what, what do you most want people to, to get um, from the, the, the efforts of your organization? What do you most want people to understand about the Trump administration? Mm, to understand why it's so necessary to build on the ground and up, you know, like why it's necessary to build revolutionary organizations with like with discipline and also with like looking what can you do at the very moment to use 
as a tool to be able to benefit you for the next few moves that you can make. It's like chess, you know. You got to be able to make small moves to be able to make the bigger move to get the king. In this hand, everything is protracted. That means that everything does take steps and it takes time. However, people, especially like during this time, I know like a lot of families are losing hope, but you shouldn't lose hope. At times like this, hope is needed, but hope is at a level where you can be able to push for organizing. Like, um, you guys are familiar, of course, with Huey Newton. Like, he quoted, he quoted saying this, um, I think what motivates people is not great hate, but great love for other people. I think people, this hopefully people understand that you must have love for the people. Like you have to believe in the people, you know, and you have to be involved, involved with the people and serving the people. What an excellent note to end it on. Thank you so much. My, no problem. My guest has been Rajib Maya, an organizer from Harlem Cop Watch, one of the members of the New York City Against Trump Coalition, organizing an event scheduled to take place in Queens on March 19th. That's it for this week. This has been Trump Watch the First 100 Days on WBAI 99.5 FM Pacifica Radio in New York. Keep the conversation going on Twitter using the hashtag TrumpWatchWBAI or follow me at the handle JLendNews. You can also contact me directly at the email address jesse at WBAI.org. What issues would you like to see us cover on Trump Watch? Again, that's jesse at WBAI.org. We do this show for you, our wonderful community of listeners, and we want to hear from you. Give us a shout. And stay tuned for the Katie Halper Show coming up at 7. I'll be back next Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. when my guest will be Greg Pallast. We're really excited for that show, and we'll be tackling another aspect of the Trump administration. The revolution may not be televised, but it will be broadcast on WBAI. I'm your host, Jesse Lent. Talk to you next time. 